Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. And we thank you that in the midst of us, you will take these verses and open them up to our hearts. You will have conversations that we're not even prepared to have with ourselves yet. You will take us, you will change us, and you will grow us tonight. Amen. Amen. Oh, I do love going through Romans, and I know it's sort of something you kind of say when you're going through a book. But one commentator said that if the Bible was a ring, then the book of Romans is the diamond on that ring. And chapter 8 is the sparkle on the diamond on that ring. So I'm really excited to be opening up Romans 8 again for us tonight. And seriously, if we're ever invaded by a foreign nation who doesn't like the scriptures, and you have a chance just to rip out one page from the Bible, rip out Romans 8, roll it up, stick it up your nostril, you can get by with that. Little bit of a recap though, Romans 7 was a bit different painted a bit of a dark picture of humanity in the relationship between the believer and the Mosaic law. You've got to do all these things and you've got to not do all those things and you immediately walked away and thought, oh gee, I don't do that and I probably tick off number seven but I'm missing number 34. I forget how many different laws that you you had to cover and it became a bit depressing. It was about as much fun as itching powder in your wetsuit not sure how they coped back in the Old Testament, but somehow they, they got through it. But you, you got through Romans 7 and all that law stuff. The law was really good at showing you what a great lawbreaker you are. And you really felt like a lowly, unworthy kind of person. It was like that boyfriend or girlfriend in school who would send you the text, Welcome to Dumpsville, population you. And except it wasn't the girl or the guy doing it, it was like God, and you think, oh my goodness, at the end of chapter seven, I don't know whether I can go on. But then we get to chapter eight. And um, fun fact chapters one to seven, Holy Spirit, and, and Ivan, I've I, I remembered that I've got to make fun of you somehow, but uh, no, I wasn't going to do I was going to say, you're the Holy Spirit man. You know, chap, the Holy Spirit is mentioned twice in chapters 1 through to 7 in Romans. And this might be a little bit of a trick to getting over chapter 7 because in chapter 8, Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. 1 to 7, twice. Chapter 8, 20 times. 10 times as much in that one chapter. This is the Holy Spirit chapter. It's where you suddenly get all the power from. Things start to get bigger and broader and more beautiful that's a whole lot of b words but things get so much brighter and we realize through the holy spirit that the law wasn't so bad after all the law was just a tough school teacher who was pointing you towards jesus Uh, by the way i've titled this message Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea which jules verne wrote 
get back to that in a moment. So just put the pause button on that for the moment. Another thing I like about Romans 8 is it reminds me of Sesame Street. Anyone remember Sesame Street? And um, they would do all these word games. So you'd have the un family, UN, un, and then they'd put together R or let's say F. And they go F, un. And they'd bring them closer together and be F, un. Fun, and you go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen when these two things get together? And they come together and it's fun. And Romans 8 is a lot of fun because it's got these beautiful bookmarks as well. It's got this beginning one, and this is um, from verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he overcame the law, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you get to the other end of chapter 8, from verse 35. Who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no separation from Christ. No condemnation, no separation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ and no separation from Jesus who frees you from that slavery of, um, of the sin, of the law. That's a really good mantra for some of us. To, some of us who might like to beat ourselves up in the morning and I, I'm no good, I do all these things and I'm meant to do these things and I don't do these and I don't want to do these things and I do those things. And we know that once we become, we give ourselves to Jesus, we have this propensity to fall off on the right side of the fence most of the time. But what a good mantra. No, devil, there is no condemnation and there's no separation. No condemnation, no separation. A really healthy mantra for us. And in this verse, Paul starts to list some of the experiences. And what he's doing here, he asks a whole lot of questions. So he's doing this... Um, Socratic, Socrates questioning technique, a Socratic diatribe, which is a really fancy way of saying, I've got an audience that I've got to go up in front of later on, and I know there's hecklers in the place who are going to give me a hard time. What are the questions that they're going to raise to try and throw me off? I'll write them down, here are my answers to them, and then when you speak to the crowd, you raise those questions yourself. And then you answer them yourself. And it sort of diffuses the situation. And if someone doesn't ask the, ask the question, but everyone's thinking it, it's taken care of. So this is the technique he's using here. He's used it through Romans, particularly chapter 7. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he responds. He gives a, a list of some of the things that might potentially shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. So he's listed a few experiences. They're all painful ones. Not too pleasant at all. And they're the sort of questions that might cause you to pause and go, maybe I can be separated from God because these things are happening. Some of them are happening. And you know what, God, if you really love me, I reckon you'd stop those things from happening so that's going to put doubt in my mind that maybe you're not for me as much as I thought so maybe there is some separation 
And that is the human condition. We sort of think right now, what's happening today? God's thinking is long term. I am making you, Fraser, into a kind of a package here and we've got to knock off these rough edges here and we've got to give you these experiences so that you grow. And if I made little chopper chups pop up in the grass wherever you walk, it's probably not going to grow you, force you to stretch. He's looking at the, the finished product. It's a little bit like a tapestry. Ever seen one of those tapestries where they pull the threads? I think that's the right... And you look at it and think, what a mess, look at all those threads hanging out everywhere. And someone taps you on the shoulder and says, you're looking at the wrong side. You go around the other side and you see the clarity and the definition and the colours and the, and the beautiful picture. But if you look at what God's doing in your life today, and he might have just started working in you, and you see these ugly threads coming out the back and you go, really, is that what you think of me? Is that how I look to you? I don't think so. And at that point, God would probably say, Fraser, shut up. Go and sit over there. Be quiet for a while. It's going to be spectacular, but you have to wait. Don't focus on now or this event or what happened over here or what was said over here. Focus on the finished product. So all of these things can separate us, can um, hurt us temporarily. But they're working towards a much better product in the end. And they're certainly not something that's going to separate us from God. Verse 37, I know it's sort of been done before. I just mentioned it quickly. So no, they won't separate you. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Love being more than a conqueror. Conqueror is good because that means after the battle, you go, <laughs> go through another one. But... If you're more than a conqueror, you can celebrate in the midst of it all, in the middle of the battle, while it's still going on, while you're struggling through grief, while you're struggling through pain, or any of those things that Paul mentioned. You can celebrate in the midst of it. And that's really spirit-filled thinking. The Holy Spirit will always direct you towards the end. And I've heard it mentioned from this pulpit, you know, when you're going through struggles... To be able to say, God, what are you showing me in this time? How is this helping me? In verse 38 to 39, I, I love the literary craftsmanship of Paul. He kicks it off by saying, for I am convinced. Didn't have to, could have just said, all these things won't separate you from God. But he said, I, Paul who were a true Israelite, and I, I knew my Bible, and I was originally against all these Christians, but now I've got the Holy Spirit. I have read through the Scriptures. I've spent time in prayer. I've bounced this off so many people. I've listened to the Holy Spirit, and at this point, I am convinced, I am persuaded. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind, having gone through all of that, and he begins to list that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How wonderful. Are you convinced? Are you persuaded? No condemnation. No separation. 
Don't leave here tonight if you are not convinced or persuaded. That covers everything. That is one of the most exhaustive things I've ever seen. If you, have, if you know of anything else that could separate you from the love of Jesus, other than anything up on that list, Roz will give you an all-expenses-paid holiday to anywhere in the world for as long as you want because there's nothing else on that list. Everything is encompassed. Everything is taken care of. Sorry, Roz. <laughs> I want to focus on that little bit there, neither height nor depth. Neither height nor depth. Now, Roz went from Melbourne to Brisbane this week, so it's sort of like the depths of uh, cold, hellish to... Uh, up to the warm, warm Brisbane. Um, but this is how Psalm 139 says it, verses 7 to 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed down in Melbourne, you are there as well. <laughs> not only can all these things not separate us from Jesus, but geographically there is nowhere you can go from God and he's not there. So who might understand that better than anyone else? Well, this woman over here, Vanessa O'Brien. She's 57. She's the first woman to complete the extreme explorer's trifecta. She scaled Everest in 2012. Bit of a maths thing that makes her 47. Hands up if you're 47 or less. Okay, all of you are capable of doing Everest. Descending to the deepest point in the sea in 2014 and travelling to space this year in August in the Blue Origin rocket. That's extreme trifecta. Deepest trench, highest mountain, up in space, and she's still smiling. And that's why I made the connection to Jules Verne. So he wrote this book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But he wrote a few other books too, and they seem to be extremes, highs, and, and lows. So I thought maybe he had an understanding of it too. He also wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is about as far away from the top of the Earth as you can get. And he wrote uh, another book, From the Earth to the Moon. So his similar ambitions through his books, of course, didn't have the technology in his day. But the reason I mention him is not because of his books, but something he did when he was 11. So there's Jules and his dad, Pierre. And uh, back in 1839, I think he was a bit younger then, um, when he was 11 in 1839, obviously had to have attractive facial hair back in those days, and grew up in Chantenay, France. And one night, he decided to leave home. And he got all his belongings together and he got all his savings. He'd been saving up for a while, got all his pennies together, everything he had. And he stole out in the middle of the night and he went to the docks, went to an inn and he met up with another young boy about the same age and he gave that boy all his money. And the boy said to him, you're going with those sailors over there. And so Jules headed over and... Uh, he said, hi, I'm your new cabin boy. And they said, great, come with us. Not realising they had the wrong boy. True story. And so off he went, and then thinking he was going to enjoy discovering the world and all these ports and all these different sea creatures. 
And instead, he was below decks and he was the chief cook and bottle washer and he would be peeling potatoes and running backward and forward with food for the, the crew. Didn't actually get to see the top deck. Just trapped underneath for weeks on end. Anyway, he realised that uh, probably this wasn't the life for him. He missed the comforts of home and uh, eventually the ship came in uh, to a place I can't pronounce called Payamboaf and he was allowed up on deck. And uh, he looked around, they pulled into the dock and everybody on the dock was focused on this other boat. This big new steamer was coming in up the river and it docked right next to them. And he looked up at this great boat and up on the railing, he saw his dad, Pierre. And he went, ah, hi dad. And his father, stern face, waved back to him. But he was so surprised to find the relief. The relief that his father had found him. He'd gone so far away to get away from it all only to find his, his father was already there. And that's like us. Is we can run from God and it doesn't matter how deep or how high or how far this way or that way. He's already there. He's already found us. In fact, he never lost us. It's that shepherd heart of God that looks out for us. Not only has nothing that can separate us, there's no geographical distance that can. Okay. Some, some points. Remember, Romans 8 is the sparkle on the diamond. Tear it out, quick roll, up the nostril. <laughs> Two, remember the mantra, no condemnation, no separation. If that's the only thing you take away, what a powerful thing to take. And ask yourself this, are you persuaded in that? Are you persuaded that there's nothing you have ever done, there's nothing that you've become, there's nothing you can do that can ever separate you? from the love of God. The Father would just say, come home. Yeah, I know, but I come home. But I forgot that and come home. Bit of a quote. This is from Pastor Skip Herzig. And he said this, and I don't like American examples, but really it's a great example. On January the 1st, 1863, the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, signed an edict proclaiming that the slaves in the Confederate States were free. What he signed was called the Emancipation Proclamation. 2,000 years ago, God signed our Emancipation Proclamation. It documented in Romans. On a cross when his son went to die for our sins so that anyone born a slave of sin and desired freedom, emancipation, could have it from that moment on. The edict was signed by blood and the blood of his son. So there is no condemnation, no separation for those in Jesus. And that means you're no longer a slave to sin. You are declared not guilty by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross, for our emancipation proclamation. The big thing with the proclamation, just as back in the United States, 
it had to be proclaimed. That's what a proclamation is. The message had to go to the south to let those slaves know that they are free. I would pray that you would raise up people in this church that would take out the good news of the gospel to the furthest reaches, to let people know that they no longer need to be a sin, a slave to sin. They can take those shackles off. And many of us hear these words, but we leave the shackles on. We need to know that we are free and take them off daily. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that freedom that you have given us so costly to yourself. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, there might be some here who, who don't know their emancipator, don't know Jesus. If that's you and you want that freedom tonight, you feel like something's holding you back, you feel like you're shackled down and you can't run free. You feel like you're beating yourself up because of the things you've done. Maybe you even felt a bit awkward coming to church at times. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me because tonight's your night. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that you as the Son of God, as our great emancipator, you paid the ultimate price. You rose again so that we might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, I, I turn my life over to you. I turn from my former ways. I know I'm going to muck it up every now and again, but I turn from that and I turn towards you. I invite the Holy Spirit into my heart to work through me, help me understand the scriptures direct me to help me to fall off that fence on the right side more often than not i thank you in jesus name amen thank you for listening we hope you have enjoyed this message for more information please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au